Letter from Helvetica is brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. Letter from Helvetica by Andrew McIntosh Starring Andrew McIntosh as John and Natalie Rolls as Abby Chapter 6 All Together Now And what was to come was a brudé which is the Croatian word for one of those catch-all European dishes that is basically a fish stew. One thing in abundance here in Cornwall is, of course, fresh fish, and Zlata had bought turbot, squid and crab, all of which were happily swimming around in a gallimorphy of tomatoes, onion, courgettes and garlic. On top was a carefully composed garnish of oysters and asparagus, and I began to wonder whether or not Zlata was trying to tell me something with this aphrodisiacal display. Any such thoughts quickly evaporated, however, when I realised that the whole symphony was accompanied by polenta. I do believe there is nothing in the world better suited to cooling desire than that gelatinous yellow sludge. I bloody hate polenta. Polenta is the food of the devil, a slimy gloop designed to efficiently extract all saliva from the mouth, leaving one with a face like a collapsed mineshaft. Except. You would think that by now I would have learnt not to underestimate the talents of this most prodigious house elf. This was like no polenta I had ever previously encountered. Indeed, it was worthy of being given an entirely new moniker. This was soft and creamy, and actually had taste to it. A gentle, cheesy, herby, savoury bite that urged you inelegantly to stuff your gob with it, with both hands. Apparently Zlata had cooked it the night before, thyme, ricotta and a little mature cheddar being the simple but miraculous additions. Chilled it in the fridge overnight until annealed into a sort of cake, and then grilled it to create a flavourful and crispy upper crust before serving. As the late lamented Bob Peck said in Jurassic Park, just before he was slain by a velociraptor, Clever girl. I will still shy away from ever ordering the stuff in a restaurant, unless, of course, they can answer yes to the question, but do you make it like Zlata? That should fox him. And then, and then, and then, she made all that had proceeded become naught but a trifle. Well, no, not trifle. Obviously, that would have been disgusting. When she produced a chocolate fondant of such intense flavour, such velvety texture, that if at that moment it was shuffle time from my mortal coil, you would have heard no word of complaint from me. It was epic. Even now I find myself going misty-eyed just at the thought of it, and, if I am honest, ever so slightly dyspeptic. I ladled praise after praise upon Zlata, telling her quite truthfully that that was one of the best meals, and most surprising, I've ever had. 
praise which she took with an amused humility. I rather get the impression that throwing this sort of thing together comes easily to her, like much in her life, methinks. We rounded the evening off, sitting in front of the fire, me in my favourite old leather chair, she sitting cross-legged on the rug, drinking coffee and Calvados, the only brandy I will drink in preference to a good single malt. Slater had never tried Calvados before, and it made me disproportionately proud that I was the one responsible for introducing her to this new taste sensation. I was beginning to rate her as highly as I do the naked chef, Oh, which, of course, she was, is, quite literally. But now I need to drag you back to bleeding Beltane. The year in Helvetica is neatly bisected by its two grand bonfires, one on the quirkily named Bonfire Night, of all the names they could have chosen, eh? And one on the not-very-obvious Beltane. If nothing else, Helvetica is never at a loss for what to do with its lumber, its shredded paper, its incriminating evidence, etc. All go to make up these great infernos. Both are held on the beach, which I always think makes for a nice departure from the more conventional village green, and allows for a ready supply of H2O, brackets plus NACL, close brackets, should matters get out of hand. It also reduces the chances of being killed by falling firework detritus, assuming you point the majority vaguely seawards. And, putting cynicism aside for one teeny moment, hard though it is for me, these are actually wonderful community events. The village has always resisted the temptation to permit sundry hawkers of food of dubious provenance at these events. Instead, all refreshment is provided by the community for the community and is freely and bountifully given. Some of it tastes like rat shit, but the thought is there. On this particular Beltane, the blaze was merry, the evening was as balmy as we have had all year, the fireworks were as bright and gaudy as low-cost infantile Chinese slave labour can provide, and spirits were generally high, when Zlata slid up to my shoulder and asked, Did you say that Beltane was originally a pagan festival? Well, I began, my customary pedantic obsession with getting facts right to the fore, not strictly pagan, really more Irish Gaelic, although it has been rather adopted by neo-pagan groups in more recent history. But she wasn't listening. Instead, she said, as though there had been an omission from the evening of unforgivably embarrassing proportions, Well, there should be sky-clad dancing around the fire. There should be what now? I began, before the penny clanged to the ground, and I beheld with horror the vision of Zlata heading towards the flames at speed, discarding clothing as she went with practised efficiency. First shoes were cast carelessly asunder, then socks, jacket, sweater, t-shirt, no bra, of course, jeans, no knickers, needless to say, she would find a kindred spirit in spot, until in less time than it takes to say hypothermia, she was whooping and skipping around the fire like a six-year-old freshly out of the bathtub. For a moment, 
I witnessed Helvetica hold its breath, and a crystalline silence hung in the air. It was broken by a single piercing whistle, not a wolf whistle, but the kind of whistle you might hear at the theatre or the opera to celebrate a great performance. This was quickly followed by a spontaneous and uproarious explosion of applause, and that hiatus, that moment of exquisite suspense, was gone. Thank the good Lord. And then, bugger me, if Jan and Brian, who have the art gallery on the high street, didn't start stripping off and joining in, quickly followed by three or four others who I only know by sight. I was momentarily clutched with a fear that Mrs. Taplow might be moved by the moment and conduct a nude celebratory jig, holding her crystal vase aloft, but she remained resolutely attached to her cagoule. Still others, though, were joining in. Gabriel ran past my elbow, white buttocks flashing in the moonlight, shouting, Come on, John, you're Helvetica's original nudist. Get your kit off. Well, any shock value I might have previously held as the skinny-dipping colonel had been so comprehensively undermined that I'd never felt more like donning a burqa. I satisfied myself with grinning inanely and applauding the cavorting dancers, but all the while thinking to myself that it is I who is responsible for introducing this firebrand into our sleepy little community. I shouldn't have worried about her, of course. The girl is so charmed I doubt there isn't much she couldn't get away with. Later on she was a sinusure in the pub, raucously reliving the experience with those who had similarly cast all duds aside, and indeed with many who had not. Jason and Clive had of course missed the entire thing, having had to work, but they were suitably enthralled and invited her to repeat her performance, which, praise be, she declined. Despite that, Clive announced that she had the biggest cojones in the pub and that all her booze would be on the house for the rest of the night. Which meant, of course, that she got completely pissed, which meant in turn that I had to stay relatively sober in order to ensure she got home safely. Although the atmosphere was anything but threatening, I was aware that the sight of a naked dancing zlata had shaken up a potent cocktail of beer and testosterone among the younger fraternity, and that it would be best that she stagger home on the arm of an old fart rather than on the... um... can't think of a metaphor that isn't horribly rude, even by my standards. I ended up putting her to bed. Very peculiarly, for a moment I was unsure whether to undress her or not, until I told myself not to be so stupid and yanked everything off her in none too elegant a fashion, I must confess. But then, in fairness, by then she was a complete dead weight. I tucked her in, in a suitably avuncular fashion, though, and made sure that she had beside her bed a bottle of water for the taking on of fluids and a bucket for the evacuation thereof. When she arose this morning, she was a tad befuddled and had a thumping head, but she could remember well enough all that had gone before, and clearly felt neither remorse nor embarrassment. Indeed, rather than being a figure of shame, I do believe she is about to discover that she is Helvetica's new icon. She described me as her Bayeli Vitez, her white knight, for looking after her so well. And... Talking of my impeccable and unimpeachable behaviour, 
I've been racking my brains to try and recall your friend Jane's twenty-first birthday to which you alluded in your missive. I have absolutely no recollection of having done anything untoward, but then again I have absolutely no recollection of said Jane. You will have to enlighten me, even though I am convinced the alleged misdeed must be a figment of your lurid imagination. And now responses to questions you have posed. Aden. After Sandhurst, I was commissioned into the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, and posted out to Aden just before the British decided they had had enough of the godforsaken place, and prematurely buggered off. My contribution was therefore less than negligible. But I did get to serve under Lieutenant Colonel Colin Mad Mitch Mitchell, which, as the Americans irritatingly say, is a whole nother story. Sherman. Short for Sherman Tank, rhyming slang for what a young man might do in order to get to sleep when he is no longer getting his oats. Well, you asked. I have a question for you now before I go and walk the dogs. Poor things are standing by the door with all eight legs crossed and expressions of anguish on their dopey faces. These sea cucumbers you mentioned. Is that part of your area of research? Because I thought you were rather more land-based, being the botanist you are. Or are they horribly confused in expecting you to fashion some sea cucumber frames? Because I fear that may not be a ripping success. But rather more importantly, sea cucumber is very, very nearly, but frustratingly not quite, an anagram of succumb which made me laugh no end, you naughty, naughty girl. Can't wait to hear more. With all love, John. Kiss, kiss. Abby.Wesley at plantavida.com House Long Olfala Burbanko May 5th Dear John As I write the date, I realise with a degree of astonishment that we've been here a month already. A whole month! A twelfth of the way through our trip. I reread my last letter to you again just now, and our journey here seems such a lifetime ago already. I sort of don't know where to start. So much has happened. Well, I shall start where I left off last time and tell you about Egbert and Bettina, who were the barefoot couple approaching us as we were taking our first excited steps onto the sandy shore of Babango. Good name for a pop singer, that. No, not Sandy Shaw, but Bango. Egbert and Bettina are our housekeepers, childminders, cooks, quartermasters and founts of all local knowledge. They are married to each other, have three grown-up children and they told me that they currently live in the one and only village on the island. I must confess that I've absolutely no idea what age either of them are, other than indeterminate. Egbert is tall, slim, yet rugged, with a full head of curly dark hair, 
graying at the temples and above his ears. He has cinnamon eyes and a wonderfully creased face caused by a predisposition for laughter and a permanent expression of mildly amused surprise. His nose is wide and flat, like all of his brethren, and his voice is as deep as any I have ever heard. I have a tendency, as you know, to fancy tall men, and I have to say that if I were younger and rather more fancy-free, Egbert could quite turn a young girl's head. But don't worry, I am much too attached to my nuclear family unit ever to yield to temptation. And anyway, Egbert seems utterly devoted to his Bettina, which is interesting, for whereas he is an undoubted dreamboat, she is more of a glorious supertanker. Bettina is lusciously large. There may well be islands here smaller than Bettina. She has the most beautiful face, clear chocolate skin, deep brown eyes and astonishingly straight white teeth, the kind you would pay thousands to acquire in Guildford. And Mr Sexy Hunk clearly adores her. Stephen, our smiling guide, and Walter, the rib's young buckaroo, waved to them both from the lapping shallows and shouted something in Bislama, which was unintelligible to me. Then Stephen came lolling up the sand to start the introductions, at which he proved to be, while charming, resoundingly incompetent. So, he began, this here is Egbert and this is Bettina, and here, gesturing to me, is Mrs. Abigail Wesley. There was a pause before he said sheepishly, that's all I got. I don't know the name of the big fella, except I'm guessing. <laughs> he might be Mr. Wesley, and I don't know the name of the small fellas, but they seem like nice people to me. Realising the situation required a little direction, I stepped in like a good old Carthusian girl should, shaking our new friends by the hand. Egbert, Bettina, this is my husband, Richard, and these are our three children, Emily, Caleb and Spot. Our two new Nivanuatu friends were just charming, grasping each of us by the hand in turn and murmuring our names until they came to Spot, inevitably, and Egbert said in his velvet baritone, I thought you said Spot, but I'm thinking my hearing is not so good. The kids usually love this moment and take turns in telling the tale of how she came to acquire a dog's name. But at this particular moment, they were strangely reticent, until Spot herself finally pointed at Caleb and said, It's his fault. My real name is Ottilie, and when he was little, he couldn't say my name properly and called me Spot, and it stuck. And, she added, I like it. Sadly, as is often the case, Egbert and Bettina looked none the wiser at the name Ottilie, but I thought that they had been fed enough information for the moment and that spot would suffice. So you must come to see the house, said Bettina, 
beginning to move up the beach. Me and Walter, we go and get your luggage while you look round, said Stephen, and they made off back towards the rib. Only now did we really begin to take in our surroundings. You have been listening to Letter from Helvetica by Andrew McIntosh. Starring Andrew McIntosh as John Stotter and Natalie Rolls as Abigail Wesley. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. The series is produced by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Glenn Allen, Rob Cook, Tessa Crocker, Michelle DeSouta, Bryony Kelly, Tracy King, Paul Morris, Triona Palmer, Laura Pinifay, Lee Pointer, Valerie Rolls, Julia Thurlow and Andrew Ruff. And executive produced by Andrew Dyack, George Fairbrother, Edward Kellett, Sophie Pycroft, Amanda Rotherham, Kay Scoble and Michael Seeley. Next time, what goes on? If you'd like to binge Series 1 of Letter from Helvetica, you can unlock all eight episodes and behind-the-scenes content on patreon.com forward slash letterfromhelvetica. To support our development of Series 2, we are accepting donations via coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash letterfromhelvetica. Mm-hmm.